All right. Here we go. Welcome to the Buyer Enablement Podcast. Today, uh, just like the last episode, I'm having a bit of just a total fanboy moment right now. Um, if you are unfamiliar with our guest, I'll, I'll say the name real quick, Dan Knowlton. That should mean something to you. That should mean something to you. Because if you're on LinkedIn and, and you haven't seen the videos that Dan and Lloyd produce from their company, um, you're completely missing out. Like This is some of the best stuff on LinkedIn right now. And it absolutely, in my mind, falls into the whole frame of buyer enablement because this is what buyer enablement is today. It's entertainment. It's entertaining your audience and giving them a reason to reach out to you so that you don't have to reach out to them. It's a beautiful thing if you do it right. And these guys are like, this is college level education that you can get from these guys if you just follow them on LinkedIn. So please follow Dan and Lloyd Knowlton on LinkedIn and you'll be just fine. But Dan, welcome to the Buyer Enablement Podcast. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited for this. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm super excited. I wish we could just get together in person and do a new parody video because I'm going to... I'm going to start this out by saying the best video I've ever seen. The way I discovered you was coming across the LinkedIn personalities. I think it was called LinkedIn personalities video where you had kind of the support group in a room and everybody was going around the room and supporting each other and trying to get over their sales navigator addiction and their salesy message addiction. And I'm not kidding. Anyone listening to this is that's like, I don't know what Josh is talking about. Please look this up because it will change your sales process in a social selling environment overnight because you don't want to be any of the characters in this clip that they put together. It's absolutely genius. How, I mean, give us the quick background. Like, who are you? And I guess, you know, your brother's not joining us. He's, he's home, home with a sick child. He's He's doing he's doing dad duties right now. But tell us about you you and your brother and this firm that you've started and what you guys do. Yeah, so um, Lloyd, who's my brother, and I started Knowlton, which is a, the creative digital and social media marketing agency we run about six years ago. Spent the first four years figuring out what on earth we're doing, how we can add value for clients, um, and eventually uh, kind of found what we're good at, which is really creative content production and, and running paid ad campaigns for brands that drives trackable sales and brand awareness. And uh, yeah, we work with some of the biggest brands in the world from FIFA, Nestle, Wall, um, and we help them sell more of their products through these creative kind of campaigns. And, and what we, we also do is kind of live what we do as well with our own business. And like you've mentioned, produce this kind of content for ourselves, which is the, the approach we take to attract these opportunities because everything we do is inbound. We don't do any outbound sales. It's all opportunities that we attract through this, this weird content that you've mentioned, Josh. <laughs> I don't know if I use the word weird, but it is, it is kind of weird. And I'll say there's so much, there's so much genius in the, the stuff that you guys produce. It's probably completely lost on you guys because it's just second nature to you. But for example, when you're doing the little micro snippets of you and your brother with your own podcast and it gets to the end and the music just keeps trailing off longer and longer and longer and you just keep waiting for it to end, but it just keeps going down a half step. Things like that are absolutely genius. Like I can't stop listening to this stuff and picking out the intricacies and the stuff that you're doing. It's brilliant. It's, it's got, there's, you know, like you say, I, I probably used to now, but there's, 
there's a lot of thought and strategy that goes into these parody, entertaining, and even the podcast as well. There's, there's a whole load, which I'm sure we're going to dive into. There's a whole load of strategy around everything we do has a, has a purpose. And yeah, we can kind of break that down as we go through it. I mean, um, but when you, when you first see the, some of the videos, it does just seem like entertaining, funny parody videos, but it's, it is a lot more than that. <laughs> there's a lot more to it than that. And I think that that's the part that I, a lot of people need to um, start understanding. I, uh, the last guest, Daniel Disney, big, big, big on social selling. That's what he's been leading the charge on for, for years now, right? He owns the hashtag social selling, not actually, but I mean, who else could actually use that at this point, right? Um, but, uh, you know, figuring out what lane you're going to go down when you're creating this content is so very important. One of the things that I discussed with him was just how people get started um, and how sometimes they just they go down the wrong roads, right? And it's important to kind of pick your lane, stay in your lane, figure out where you bring value so that you can continue bringing more value there. But the most important thing is identifying what is the content that my buyer is actually going to be seeking out when they're on these channels. Because if you're not speaking to your ideal buyer, then who the heck are you speaking to? So I would assume, let's start going into the strategy a little bit. I mean, I would assume that's day one for you with your customers. Yeah, so I think the first thing to kind of note is that you do need to go down the wrong roads to find the right road. So like for us, I'd say, I don't know how many years I've been on LinkedIn now, at least eight or so years, but for the first sort of six years of being on LinkedIn, uh, you know, I wasn't creating good content. It was just, you know, I've gone through a whole load of different approaches from just spamming with links to articles that we wrote to posting images and loads of stuff didn't work. Only it was two years ago when we we tested this. We, what was the video we made? We, we made a parody video, which was about networking events. Yeah. This is the first video where we really realized that this stuff works. We basically took the piss out of um, networking events, you know, where people go to a, a meeting in the morning. I don't know if you've got it over there, but in the UK, businesses meet up and you all sit around a table, have a breakfast, and then everyone stands up and says, I'm Dan from Knowlton and we help you with marketing. And it's just very, it's a very weird situation. And we basically just took, took a video, taking the mick out of people, like basically throwing business cards in your face, trying to sell you stuff. And, and that video, like performed crazily well compared to everything else we'd ever done. And that was the first moment we kind of thought, hmm, maybe we, if we try different unique approaches to marketing, we can get different unique results. And it, from then on, it's just been kind of going all in on that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, what you guys are doing for yourselves is absolutely brilliant. What you're doing for yourselves has to be driving a lot of traction for you, obviously. But talk about how you how you create this kind of stuff when you're talking to other companies. I mean, it can't be the exact same sort of stuff that you're doing right now, right? So how do you infuse the humor? How do you infuse the storytelling into it there? Yeah, so, so the, first, the first thing to think about is who is it you're trying to convince to do something? It's, it's like marketing 101. Who's your target market? Who's the person you want to see something and convince them to take some kind of action? You know, buying a product or service, getting in touch through a lead form, um, and understanding the, the kind of nuances and the, the culturally relevant situations that only that person will get, and then working backwards and producing a creative, creative piece of content that, that guide that person through the customer journey. So for example, uh, I'll start with us and then I'll move on to a client campaign example. For us, 
you know, we're targeting marketing teams from brands. So, and the great thing with that is we are marketing people. So we get how it works. We get the funny things to take the mick out of. We get the annoying things that we can kind of tap into. So we think about what will a marketing person truly understand? So for example, another kind of creative video we did for our, our, our own brand was, um, it was about, it was tapping into the different types of marketing, like SEO, pay-per-click, leaflets. And it, it was a, we did like um, an interview where someone was interviewing these different types of marketing. And it was, the, the script was written really creatively to kind of take the mick out of leaflets. You know, they were like, oh, I've, I've come here today. Usually I'm just thrown in a bin, but I've come here today. It's kind of like tapping into those kinds of things. But not just that, it's also uh, creatively structuring the content to sell our service as well. So for example, you know, a minute into one of the videos we made, we, we literally uh, look at the camera and, and say, you've literally been watching this for a minute and it's an advert for our business. And that's like what we like to call a light bulb moment where people are, you know, those kinds of videos, we get calls, we get left messages on LinkedIn with leads coming through saying, oh my God, I realized I was watching your video for a minute or four minutes. And then you said that and I was like, wow, these guys really know what they're doing. So it's really understanding who you're trying to kind of convince to do something. So that's, that's kind of us in terms of our clients. We follow exactly the same process. We understand, you know, for example, we're currently working with a, a big Whole Foods company and we know that their target market are kind of middle-aged women who are interested in in the whole health culture and we're tapping into those elements that, that they'll understand. Yeah, yeah. They say all the time in sales, um, sell the problem. Don't sell, don't, don't get on channels like LinkedIn or anywhere and and sell your product. <laughs> Nobody cares about your product, right? But they do care about the problem that you solve for, right? And that video that you referenced just now, there's another one. I mean, seriously, somebody's going to have to do like a deep dive in the history of Knowlton videos because that's another one where um, it, what I loved about it is actually a lot of what you were talking about in that is what my my product at my company solves for as well, right? So I found it funny because it was like, okay, I'm looking at this through a different light. Like maybe we could infuse a little more humor in this because specifically about like the brochures, the pamphlets, right? Um, the way that you approached that problem, the fact that, oh, I spend most of my time in the bin. Well, yeah, you do. That's the, that's the problem. That is the problem with a brochure, right? I mean, how many trade shows have we gone to in our life? That's typically where you get a brochure or a sales professional leaves one behind when they leave the room. Where does that go? It goes in the bin. Like it goes on your desk under a pile of crap and two months later you clean your desk and you put it in the bin and that is where it spends the bulk of its life. No value. Exactly. And I completely agree. I think it's about uh, attacking, identifying the problem in a creative, unique way because Everyone can create a video saying, if you've got these problems, we can help. But from our experience, no one wants to consume anything like that on social because they're not there to watch a video with you saying, we can help you with these problems. They're there to be educated, entertained, inspired. So if you understand, like you mentioned at the start, the reason why they're on those platforms and fulfill that need, and if you can then cleverly tie in uh, you know, uh, it's part of your content, overcoming those objections in a creative way, identifying the problem and talking about the benefits of working with you, then, you know, you've hit a gold mine because you're, you're literally, people are coming back for more to, to watch you try and sell to them. Yeah. Um, so That's it's, great. yeah, it's just trying to be creative. It's great. It's really, really great. So I got a couple of questions for you here. So number one, it sounds like primarily 
in your efforts, you are working with brands. You're not working with individuals at those brands to help them build their own personal brand or social strategy. You're working with brands. You're, you said that you're typically working with uh, the marketing teams and these marketing teams, their job is to support, is to support sales, right? I mean, they wouldn't be marketing if they weren't trying to support sales in their efforts. Now with this whole idea of buyer enablement, before I reached out to you on this show, had you ever heard that term before? Was buyer enablement something that came up? Heard it, but it's not something I've looked into until just before this show. And yeah. I had a bit of a look, look up, but yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, buyer enablement, right? The whole idea of buyer enablement is just to give your prospects more trust that in the person that they're dealing with and in the brand that they're dealing with to move forward in their journey. Um, it's also just making it easier for them to make their decision, right? There's a lot of confusion that buyers have these days because there's so much information out in the world and we're a self-informed audience these days. We teach ourselves everything. We identify our own problems. We identify the solutions that might be a fit. We reach out to the five or six vendors that we think might be able to help us with that. And how are we enabling them to move to the next stage easily? That's kind of the whole idea of buyer enablement. The reason I wanted to have you on here Daniel Disney, we were talking a lot about people, how they can use their own personal brand to help buyers find trust in who they're working with specifically. But people fall in love with brands. I believe that with every ounce of my being that like if you do it right, people fall in love with brands. And if you can get people to fall in love with your brand and become a brand evangelist of what you're doing, no matter how you get there, whether it's the whole marketing team turning you into a brand evangelist or an individual at a company that you trust and like that turns you into a brand evangelist, that is the ultimate goal. Let's create some brand evangelists here. So what you're doing in my mind is absolutely buyer enablement, right? You are starting that conversation. You are starting that trust factor that everybody needs. You are making it easy for them to identify who you are and why they should work with you. Was this was this like consciously thought out in your mind and just that term wasn't attached to it? Or I mean, am I going down the wrong road with this? Do you see where I'm going? I, I, I think it's it's like the whole, everything we've done up till now, well, the last two years has been much more strategic. But those first four years have just been us trying different things and seeing what works. And we've, you know, I hadn't heard buyer enablement a huge amount before this, but what we've, what we've, we've just figured out that by, um, by, by creating content that people enjoy, that provides value, that entertains them, that gives them what they need on a platform, has helped us to sell more of our services. So we've kind of gone all in on the things that have been working. Um, so it's probably not, not a, I wish I could say it was a, a conscious effort to, to get to where we are, but it's really just looking at um, what works and what doesn't. And, and, and also another really important thing that, that we've done is testing a, more, a variety of different things. So for example, we started our own podcast, probably the Business Anchors podcast. It must have been a few months ago maybe six months ago i can't remember exactly sure. um, but that was a test for us that was a test for us you know we didn't we didn't know if that was going to help us sell anything but um in the last month we've closed uh, one of the biggest deals we've ever closed from a marketing manager from a brand who said i discovered you on the business anchors podcast <laughs> i followed you on linkedin and this is why i'm speaking to you so that was the first real sign to us, like, wow, testing, you know, we, we had to obviously invest in the time, the resources to produce a podcast, produce all the video content like you do, Josh, to, to, to see how this works. But, you know, it, it worked. We're, we're, another random thing we're doing 
in a lot of our parody videos, we wear wigs, which is yeah. just really strange, but it helps us play different characters and it helps us stand out and everyone comments on the wigs in the comments. And we've actually, uh, a very random thing we're testing is we've identified who are the key people who we want to work with, who comment on our videos a lot, who say they love what we're doing, but the types of organizations that we know we can deliver great results for, we've got case studies to prove that. Um, we've identified who they are. We've put together these packages, which include wigs, um, wigs, stickers, stickers with Lloyd and I wearing wigs with a, a handwritten note on it. Um, we've got like, this package we're going to send them and just basically say, thank you for supporting our weird wig-based content. It's like just to try some different things, you know. It sounds strange, but, you know, you've got to try it. I love it. I, I mean, people have used these strategies for years and they don't work, right? Where they send someone a coffee mug and it's like, gee, thanks. Thanks for a coffee mug. What am I supposed to do with this? Like, do you expect me to take a picture with this coffee mug and, and like promote you just because you gave me a coffee mug? Like, by the way, I'm sending you a coffee mug after this. No, I'm totally kidding. But, you know, but if you send somebody a wig and again, people listening, if they haven't seen these videos, please just like put pause on the podcast. Go watch some of these videos so you understand because these wigs are hilarious. Um, you and your brother turn yourself into so many different characters with these wigs. It's completely goofy. And I, I'm sure many people look at it and just say, like, this is too goofy. This is a professional channel. What the heck is this doing here? We don't need to be seeing this garbage on here. What is this guy wearing a red wig and then another guy wearing a black wig and another guy? I mean, come on, right? But at the same time, that's not your market, right? Also, as well, you're exactly right, Josh. Also, this, this content we're talking about that's really kicked off on LinkedIn that is one element of a much wider content strategy. So, so if you look at other content we produce on LinkedIn, we produce case studies demonstrating the results we've delivered for clients. We produce uh, storytelling content. We produce behind the scenes content showing the cool work we're doing with clients. There's a whole spectrum of different things we're doing that all tie into, that, that are mapped to the decision-making process of that, that marketing manager, that head of marketing and a brand. That, that, that gives them all of the answers they need to decide that we're the best solution to their problem, right? So it's, but that's one thing. But the other funny thing that actually happened with these wig videos, we actually came up with, a, had a bit of a problem because because we had these, these parody videos of us wearing wigs that really kicked off on LinkedIn and thousands of people saw them and, and that kind of thing. We actually had a problem where people thought we just produced these weird wig videos. <laughs> so I actually had a guy who I know call me up and say, um, he was having a conversation with a large local business um, and he said, oh, you've got to speak to Knowlton if you're looking for marketing for your content. And the, the, the kind of CEO of this company said, oh, but we're not a funny company. We don't want to produce weird wig videos. And I was like, oh, no, we've actually this this has worked so well for us. But it's also potentially putting off some people as well. So what what we ended up making a, a video kind of a parody video taking the mic out and saying that we don't just make weird wig videos. We, we, we've, you know, and showing all of these other case studies of cool stuff we've done. But I think you do want to attract, you want to attract the right people and repel the wrong people. So us being us is a good thing because we always find, uh, you know, the client relationships works better if they're aligned with us, uh, you know, our, our culture, our values and that kind of thing. So yeah, I guess it's a, I don't know, do you, like, for what you do, do you think it's better to uh, be yourself and attract? I, I guess it depends on your who you're trying to attract as well, doesn't it? Because you don't want to be putting off people who could be great clients as well. No, no. I mean, here's, I 100% agree with your strategy on this. Um, I don't want to work with anybody that I don't jive with. I don't. This world is too big, man. It is. 
Like, it's too big. Um, you know, if 50% of the people that consume the content that I put out think that I'm inappropriate, think that I drink too much scotch, think that, that whatever it is, right? Whatever puts them off about me. And trust me, there's a long list of things that I do that put people off. It's fine. Um, we're not a fit. I don't need that business that bad. I really don't. Because I don't want to do anything unless I'm having fun. And I think this is where if we were closer in proximity, we'd probably have a good time together. Because I can tell you're the kind of person that if you're not having fun, you're just not going to do it anymore, right? And the, you know, look, people always say the old joke is uh, business would be so much fun if we didn't have to deal with all these horrible customers, right? But it's, but it's true. It's true, right? The good customers make what we do incredible. The bad fit customers make what we do a complete drag. It, I think it takes working with the bad customers to learn that, though. And also, yes. when you when we started out, when any business starts out, you know, you, you, it's difficult to turn people away because oh, you, you know, I don't quite jive with you. It, you know, when when we started, we would work with anyone and everyone, <laughs> and it was like <laughs> we just want to pay the bills. <laughs> We want yeah. to get some case studies to show, but I think as you progress and you learn and you, you work with terrible customers, you work with amazing customers, you start to think exactly like you said, Josh, you, you only want to work with people that you get on with and that you can have that good relationship with. Because otherwise it just, the amount of time we work, the amount of time you work, I'm sure, why would you want to spend that with kind of douchebags? Yeah, you don't. You don't have time in your day for that. You don't. Um, and also let's just keep it fun. Like, I just, I've, I've said for years, like, why does business professional have to be what it is? Why does it have to be so buttoned up and boring, right? That's part of why I personally fell in love with the tech industry, because once I got into the tech industry, I could wear a t-shirt and jeans every day and a hoodie if I wanted to, and it was totally fine, right? I didn't have to wear a, a suit and a tie ever again. And right there, I was like, oh man, I'm sold. I'm sold. Hi. I can completely resonate, Josh, because Lloyd and I used to be suited and booted when we yeah. went out, like with ties and everything. It's funny, we, Lloyd said that there, there was a correlation between how smart we dressed and how little we knew. So over the years, the more formal we've dressed, the more, sorry, the less formal we've dressed, the more we actually know what we're talking about. Yeah, it's, <laughs> that's great. It's great. But at the same time, look, if you're comfortable, you're going to do so much better right? If you believe in what you're doing, you're going to do so much better. And part of the time, believing in what you're doing is just seeing the results, having happy customers, being told that, hey, what you just did right here actually made a difference. It actually moved the needle for us. All right. I want to spin this back here a little bit to buyer enablement. Um, I mean, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is like, you know, you can't just do all goofy videos and you cleared that up. You don't do just all goofy videos. You do some serious video work as well. Okay. So that's good. But in this, in these efforts that you're putting together, uh, with your customers, have you ever heard, I mean, what are you hearing back from the business development, the revenue driving teams at these organizations about what your efforts are doing for them to make it easier for them to bring in deals? Well, we tell them what it's bringing in because we track everything. So we, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's how we, that's how we get, you know, that's how they spend more money with us because we, we track how much revenue it's generating. We, we run, uh, we don't produce creative content that, that achieves an objective. We track how much revenue it's generating through, you know, paid advertising, through paid Facebook, Instagram ads to, to track all of that. So um, it's quite easy for us to say, hey, spend more money with us because, uh, you know, this is the, the rev this is the return on ad spend you're getting. This is, this is what it's generating. So 
Yeah. yeah. Um, and we tend to, we tend to focus with, with the kind of bigger brand campaigns we run. We tend to focus with a lot of sort of product based e-commerce businesses. So it's very easy to, to say you paid us this, this is the trackable revenue generated through your site. So yeah. 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 That's, that's kind of how we do it. So what are the range of services then that you're, that you are providing to businesses? So this is this an interesting question because we do a whole range of things, but in the last year we've uh, we sat down and we've we've developed this whole this whole milk the top ten percent strategy, which is you know we can do loads of things. We like the the main things we do are content production and paid social media ad campaigns that drive a trackable revenue, but we can produce websites, we can do graphic design. We can do a whole range. We can produce a podcast. We can do a whole range of things. But what we want to do is attract that top ten percent of clients, the world leading leading brands, to work with us to produce creative content and drive some kind of trackable revenue or brand awareness, whatever whatever it is they want to achieve. Um, so that's really what we focus on. But yeah, we can do a whole range of things. Yeah. Um, but we realised, yeah, rather than just saying we do all of this stuff, let's focus on what we're really really good at. And what we want to be doing, and all of the other things coming anyway. We're still building websites. Yep. We're still doing, you know, we're still you know doing graphic design and things. But um, they just come in as a, as a byproduct of us putting out there to the world all of this great stuff we're doing with with the, the content production and paid ad side of things. They come in as a byproduct of the trust that you've created with them. I mean, they come to you however they come to you. They come to you for whatever they needed to start with. But what I've always found with with you know creative agencies, my background, I, I worked in creative agencies for many many years before I founded a tech company. Um, once they come in, you're the first person they ask, "Hey, we need this. Do you also do this?" Right? And I think that the challenge it goes back to what you were talking about earlier. When you're starting out, the challenge is always how do you say no to a bad fit customer? You know it's a bad fit customer, but you also kind of want to pay the rent and you kind of want to pay your employees. You definitely kind of want to pay yourself. So we're going to want to take this in, right? Um, But moving forward, you know, it's really important to also be thinking about, you know, when they come to you, what's the best thing for me to do with this new lead that they're bringing me? If they ask me to do this website, well, maybe we can do a website to a certain point, but maybe the kind of website they need is actually going to have all this custom integrations and do all these crazy bells and whistles. And we don't technically do that. Sometimes the best thing you can do is make a great referral for them to someone else because here's the thing, they're going to keep coming back to you first because you're either the one that does it right for them or connects them with the person and saves them time that's going to do it right for them. Do you know what? It's so funny you say that because literally about six or seven months ago, I read a book called Agencynomics by a guy called Spencer and Pete. They wrote this book for, they, they built a, an agency of 300 people, sold it for millions, and they wrote this book, this kind of guide of how to grow a successful agency. One of the really simple things he says to do is um, look at your uh, kind of sales funnel, look at your previously converted deals, um, look at who, who are in, in those deals, how did you, uh, how did they find you? How did they, like, what was the, the source they found you? Which sound, this is such a simple thing, but it's so stupid because yeah. we never did it. And we found that, the biggest, best, uh, you know, most lucrative deals for us that we love working on, all, all were referrals from other agencies we built relationships with. And listen to this, we, 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 we did, at the time, we did nothing proactive to build relationships with other agency owners, which is just ridiculous. So obviously, once reading that book, I was like, wow, 
we now need to have a proactive approach to building relationships with other agencies. And also, like you said, Josh, we, we have those relationships now and we continue to build them. But we will, if, if a website, for example, that, that's beyond our kind of skill level, we will say to our, our partners and say, look, speak to these guys. We really trust them and it works both ways. Yeah. It's got to go both ways, right? Otherwise, I mean, I say this all the time. I bring, I bring leads to people all the time and um, I don't expect anything back from that. I really don't. I don't expect anything. I don't expect a commission back from that. I don't, but a good job though. You expect ex- them to do a good job. That's what I do. I expect them to do a good job because guess what? You got that lead because that person trusts me. And if you don't do a good job, that person's no longer going to trust me. And that is going to cost me money in the long run, right? So I love to I love to connect people if I actually believe that they're going to do the right job. And all I really expect is that they check in with me to let me know how things went so that I can hear both sides of the story because, you know, it's happened before where somebody that I connect someone to reaches out and says, you know what, they were a dud. That did not go the way I needed it to. I paid them 20,000 up front. They basically disappeared. And then I call that other person. I said, why didn't you tell, what's going on over there? Oh no, he was a jerk and blah, blah, blah. Well, okay. I mean, somebody's got to tell me something other than like the person that I have a great relationship coming back and telling me that that lead was horrible. And now they're probably not going to reach out to me for another, uh, another lead or another name. Right. I do think you, it's interesting because you learn these things through mucking up and making these mistakes. Like we're all still constantly learning. Like if, if you were even saying this to me years ago, I wouldn't have been thinking, Oh, I need to make sure that I'm doing that right. But through like, you not do you know i'm sure a few years ago i've been we've been handed a lead and i probably haven't updated the person i thought oh they haven't spoken to me in a while maybe i actually need to be a better person and and, do what you've just said but it's it's making those mistakes that make you think oh god i've made so many yeah so many mistakes over the years that you definitely learn from well it all comes back full circle to the whole idea of buyer enablement is just making it easy for people to move forward with you and the easiest the easiest deal you'll ever land is a referral-based deal, right? I mean, how many times does somebody get referred to you and they're still looking at three or four other vendors? They're usually not. It, it's, it's usually like, hey, this person said, you are exactly who I should be talking to, so I'm not even gonna talk to them right now. I'm just gonna talk to you. It's the easiest deal you'll ever land in your life. So with bioenablement, yeah, I'm gonna flip it onto you a minute because I'm actually interested. What, like, what <laughs> practical things could we as an agency do to improve our bioenablement? Yeah. So, I mean, the number one thing that, um, and I don't want to get salesy with my product here on a podcast, so I'll stay away from my product and some of these things are tied into my product. I'll just say that. Is that fair? So the number one thing that creative services agencies, I actually built my product, the first iteration of it, when I owned a marketing agency. And I built it because I hated my sales process. Because here's the challenge in the creative services industry. You talk to somebody they always ask you to send them some information after it's done. Some agencies are still putting them in pamphlets and brochures, which end up in the bin as we discussed already, right? But usually what they're doing is loading up an email with a whole bunch of attachments and links to a whole bunch of things that they're sending over to the person to review. And the problem is, until very recently, nobody was considering the fact that just because you've sent them all that information over does not mean you've done your job. You didn't. You did the bare minimum of your job. You just made it hard for that person to A, receive everything, because it's probably in multiple emails. You probably couldn't fit it all in one. B, they have a decision-making group they need to share that with. 
And what you should be focused on in the creative services is creating internal advocates that can sell you to the team because you're not going to be in the room for all those discussions. Do you and mean so, internal advocates for the, on the on, in the client's company? On the client side. Right, yep. okay. Yep. So if I were selling to you, right, and I knew that you were going to be going to Lloyd, right, I haven't met Lloyd yet. Lloyd doesn't know who I am, and Lloyd doesn't care who I am right now, right? If I can deliver things more intentionally and make them more personal and speak to Lloyd in the way that I delay, deliver those materials, I'm talking personalized videos, materials on a single source place where you can find it and easily share it, that helps right there, number one. Number two, though, is you know really not being afraid to ask questions. I mean, this is part of my product, but also completely outside of my product. If, if you're talking to somebody, like don't be afraid to ask them the right questions so that you can move forward really as their strategist and not just as a salesperson. Nobody wants to talk to a salesperson, but everybody wants to talk to a strategist for their business. Right. Value, provide them value rather than just. Absolutely. The number one thing that I try to remind myself every time I get on any sort of product demo with a potential customer is to give them value outside of my business, to educate them outside of my business. Right. Because that way, at least if they understand the challenges that they're having with their business development process or their customer success process, and they understand some tips and tricks that they could employ right now that I've seen worked for other customers with or without my product. Now they come away from that meeting with more value and more education. And then hopefully that builds trust and they come back to me. They leave with a positive thought about you rather than the kind of, oh, this is an annoying cold call. I don't want to speak to this person to, a, oh, that was a nice conversation with Josh. You know, we discussed this and they, yeah, that makes sense. It's, you know, it goes back to the Beatles. In the end, the love you make is equal to the love you take, right? Or the love you take is equal to the love you make, right? It has to be reciprocal, right? Let's just, let's put good things out into the world. Let's help people more. Let's not see ourselves as just being pushy salespeople. Let's just help them along their journey, give them education. I mean, and that's what you guys are doing with the stuff that you do every day. Great. You guys can be customers tomorrow. I'll show you the product later. No, I'm kidding. But um, no, I'd, I'd be thrilled to have you guys as customers. We can have that conversation. I will send you a link after we're done with this so you can learn more about it. That sound good? You can share it with Lloyd, who was too too busy to join us today. By the way, that more that more recent video you did while he was on vacation where you were Lloyd, that was great. Good job. That was really good. You know, And I think it's good that you guys have a good sense of humor around there with each other. I think it goes back to what you said, Josh, about having fun. If we're not having fun doing what we're doing, then we're doing something wrong. And it's things like that, that us making a video taking the mick out of Lloyd whilst he was off was, was fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, regardless, this was, it was awesome for me to have you on this show, man. I really appreciate you taking some time setting it aside. I hope this is the beginning of a you know long distance friendship here, honestly. Um, and I will be staying in contact with you without question. Um, if there's uh, anyone listening to the show thinking these guys do some incredible stuff, right? Like, who are you looking to connect with from a business perspective? Like, what's the target market for you guys? Ideal customers who we who we know we can we've got some incredible examples of the results we can achieve for are product-based b2c businesses okay um ultimately anyone in the a marketing team ideally you know c-suite uh head of marketing marketing manager who, whoever's in a marketing team get in touch 
if you if you run that kind of business because yeah i'd love to be able to talk through and share with you some of the cool stuff we do and, and the results it achieves best way for them to reach out to you what do you what do you prefer email linkedin what do you want um whatever's best for them okay linkedin email our website nolton marketing uk whatever's easiest for you yep works for me we will put all that information in the show notes of this one so that it's real easy for people to get connected um, but seriously, I can't stress it enough. If you're listening to this show still, I don't know how long we've been going, probably too long at this point, but if you're still listening to this show, uh, start following Dan and Lloyd immediately on LinkedIn. You will learn so much and you'll start to see, look, maybe you, whoever you are listening, maybe you don't want to make silly videos. And I, and I, I don't say that in a, in a rude way, hopefully. Right. But some of your videos they're a bit silly, right? Maybe you don't want to make silly videos. Maybe infusing comedy and humor into the videos you produce isn't appropriate for your industry. That's fine. There's still a lot to take away from what you guys are doing as far as just making content that's approachable. That's the key. Make content that's approachable. Make content that your target market is going to love and keep doubling down on that. And also that triggers emotion. You know, we don't just produce silly, entertaining videos for brands. <laughs> we produce emotive videos that trigger emotions that are, you know, sh make people shed a tear when they're watching it and make them do what you want them to. So there's a whole yeah. range of ways you can approach getting that kind of result. And if you haven't gotten into video yet, I mean, I've talked about it a million times on this show, um, especially in the B2C space. The stat is staggering. I don't know what it is in the UK, but um, the stat that I saw here in the US is that 90% of consumers make a purchasing decision after watching a video. 90%. I bet that stat was made by a video company. <laughs> but it's so true when you think about it. You know, um, maybe it was on a website, maybe it wasn't, maybe it was on YouTube, but I mean, I was just talking to one of my employees the other day, his wife's car was having a little issue. What did he do? He went to YouTube. He became a YouTube mechanic and he fixed the issue. He saved himself $300 and he fixed whatever it was. It was probably a wiper blade. It was probably nothing major, right? I don't think he was like rebuilding the carburetor off of YouTube, but regardless, like that, that's pretty cool. You know, How off the internet, Josh, right? <laughs> we're in the right, uh, we're in the right industry right now. There we go. There we go. Well, hey, Dan, I know this is the tail end of your day over there, so I'm going to let you go so you can wrap things up and do important things. But um, honestly, this was an honor having you on here. If you or your brother ever come stateside, please reach out to me. Um, if I ever head out that way, um, I'm taking you, your brother, and Daniel Disney out for something, something nice. Yeah, I look forward to it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. This yeah. has been fun. Let's, let's stay in touch, Josh. Awesome. All right, have a good day. Thanks for being on. Cheers.